Welcome to the Supreme Court of Virginia podcast. This podcast is brought to you by Ben Glass Law and Virginia Appellate Attorney Steve Emmert. Listening to oral arguments from the Supreme Court of Virginia is one of the best ways to stay abreast of both substantive and procedural law. And today's smart lawyers know that any case, even if it is outside their practice area, can offer a learning opportunity. So, listen, enjoy, subscribe, and leave us feedback. Good morning, may it please the court. My name is Jim Granfield. I'm the public defender in Suffolk. I'm here on behalf of appellant Frank Arthur. After listening to the first first case this morning, my first thought was I should have been a crewman on an Exxon tanker rather than write very short petitions for appeal on guilty pleas, but nonetheless, here I am. Uh, I would note Mr. Arthur pled guilty, uh, got a pretty stiff sentence from the trial court, was not happy with that sentence, and like many folks who receive a long active sentence, I know several of you sat at the circuit court level uh, as a defendant, all he's hearing is, how much time do I get? And he's, he's worried about the active time, active time, active time. This case, unfortunately, is testament to the fact that apparently the lawyers are thinking the same thing, how much is the active time? Usually my strongest appellate argument is, well, I wasn't the trial counsel. Here I stand. I'm the guy that wrote the petition for appeal and flat out missed it. Uh, I would submit that abuse of discretion is broad enough because a trial court doesn't have the discretion to impose an illegal sentence. Uh, prosecutor missed it. Defense counsel missed it. Defense counsel then goes to another position, and I inherit the case and write the appeal. Uh, my only saving grace is the Court of Appeals missed it, uh, and yet here we are. So I would submit that however this court parses it, yes, it is void ab initio. The, the statutory maximum is five years, and the judge imposed a sentence on the precursor's case of ten years suspended. Everybody's worried about the act of time, the act of time. Oh, i got too much time. I want to note my appeal, uh, and, and here we are. So it's, it's void ab initio, so then the question, what does this court, who did catch it and grant the writ, uh, have the power to do? I would submit you have the authority, and I agree with the Commonwealth's brief. Um, you have the power, you have the authority, you have the jurisdiction to simply remand it back to the circuit court for a lawful sentence. And I would take your questions if you have any. If not, I will yield the floor and reserve my remaining 12 minutes plus, uh, should there be any need for rebuttal. Thank you very much. Thank you for tuning in to the Supreme Court of Virginia podcast. My name is Ben Glass, and Steve Emmert and I provide these oral argument audios for free as a public service. If you're a fan of the podcast, I'd love to send you my book, Renegade Lawyer Marketing, absolutely free. Just visit www.benglassreferrals.com, and I'll be glad to ship it to you. This book has helped thousands of lawyers across the country improve their lives and their practices. Again, that's benglassreferrals.com. Thank you for listening, and enjoy these oral arguments from the Supreme Court of Virginia. Good morning, Your Honors. May it please the Court, Sharon Carr on behalf of the Commonwealth. Um, the Court asked the parties to focus squarely on two specific issues, whether the precursor's conviction um, was void ab initio and whether this Court has the ability to respond to address the issue, and both the answers to those questions is yes. 
As Mr. Granfield has indicated, the possession for precursors conviction is void ab initio because of the fact that the statutory maximum provides for only five years, whereas the trial court in this particular case imposed a sentence of five, uh, um, ten years all suspended. And the court has the ability to address the issue sua sponte because, as Mr. Granville indicated, it's a jurisdictional issue, it's a threshold issue, and because this court is the one who caught it, um, it is, um, because it is void, it is something that needs to be addressed to ensure that the statutes are properly applied and it was not in this particular case. As a, a, just a purely conceptual point, things can be void ab initio, but not be void ab initio because it's outside of subject matter jurisdiction. It can just be so unlawful that no jurist under any uh, scheme can approve it. So, and there are many examples of that. Void uh, extrinsic fraud, for example, on the court uh, in a case where they clearly have subject matter jurisdiction. So here, there is subject matter jurisdiction. There's obviously subject matter jurisdiction over a felony. There's obviously subject matter jurisdiction over a sentence. It is that it's an unlawful sentence, and the remedy judicially is declaring a void of an issue. So the reason I raise the point is that it, it seems as though uh, those, those two expressions, void of an issue and subject matter jurisdiction, are treated as exact equivalent uh, synonyms. But unless you uh, have a response to that, I don't see it that way. Do you? No, I agree with you completely. Because as the, uh, your honor has indicated, the court had the subject matter jurisdiction to address the charge for which the uh, defendant was ultimately convicted for, but just went outside of the jurisdiction that it had as it relates to the sentence that it imposed. Um, so that was the jurisdictional defect aside from the ability to hear the case from the outset. Um, and additionally, because the defendant um, was convicted of two particular offenses at this particular sentencing hearing, the Commonwealth would um, ask the court solely to remain the conviction for the possession of precursors charge and not the manufacturing methamphetamines charge because there was no indication or argument um, by the appellant that it was um, an unlawful sentence as it was not as was within the statutory range permitted um, by the statute. Um, and additionally, uh, that argument was waived because it was not argued on brief. Um, and uh, even though um, there's uh, Mr. Granville argues that the abuse of discretion sort of covers the whole thing. Um, in this particular case, it was not argued specifically what the abuse of discretion was as it relates to the manufacturing methamphetamines charge. So the Commonwealth would ask this court to uh, re- vacate the sentence as it relates to the possession of precursors charge, remand it for a new sentencing hearing, and affirm the conviction as it relates to the manufacturing methamphetamines charge. Thank you. Thank you very much, counsel. Anything else, Mr. Granville? But you do. But I do. <laughs> um, and at the risk of not being zealous enough, I absolutely agree with Madam Attorney General that the only issue I argued and I'm here on is, is the, the unlawful sentence. And because I'm stubborn, I will submit that, that calling it a piece of discretion is, in fact, broad enough that, again, you don't have the discretion, or a trial court doesn't have the discretion to impose an unlawful sentence. All right. Thank, Thank you. you very much, Counsel. Please call the next case. Would you hire an appellate lawyer to handle your jury trial? Of course not. Trying cases requires a different focus, a different way of speaking, even a different way of thinking from handling appeals. So why would you ask a trial lawyer to handle your appeal? When it comes time to appear in an appellate court, trust a lawyer who specializes in appeals only. Steve Emmert limits his practice to appeals. 
other lawyers consult him when they face tough problems in the appellate maze. Focus on what you do best. Call Steve Emmert at 757-965-5021 direct to find out how he can help you. Again, that's Steve Emmert at 757-965-5021.